It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On Monday, after months of building up troops along Ukraine's border and demanding guarantees that Ukraine would never be allowed to join NATO, Russian President Vladimir Putin addressed the people of his country. Ukraine is not just a neighbor, neighboring country to us. It is an inherent part of our own history, culture, spiritual space. His final message was clear. President Vladimir Putin has raised the stakes in the Ukraine crisis by signing decrees recognizing the independence of two breakaway separatist regions in the east of the country. The decrees include provision for Russian troops to perform what are described as peacekeeping functions in Luhansk and Donetsk. Meanwhile, the Secretary-General of NATO issued a stark warning. The crisis unfolding in Ukraine is the most dangerous moment for European security in a generation. This is a crisis created by Russia alone. We commend Ukraine for its restraint in not responding to Russia's repeated provocations. I'm Sarah Khapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today we explain what is happening in Ukraine and ask... How far is Vladimir Putin willing to go? Dan McLaughlin has been covering the situation in Ukraine for the Irish Times since January and is currently based in Kyiv. Dan, when you last came on the podcast in late January, you spoke to us from an eastern region of Ukraine, not far from the two parts of the country that have broken away and are no longer under the control of the Ukrainian government in Kyiv, Donetsk and Luhansk. Those two regions are at the very heart of what is happening now. So on Monday, Vladimir Putin informed Western leaders that Russia would recognise the independence of these two self-declared breakaway republics. Why was that such a significant move? It was such a big move because even though we know that Russia has been involved in, well, back in 2014, it was involved in starting the war in Donbass. And ever since, it's been the only supporter of those two separatist republics in Luhansk and Donetsk, supplying not only political support, but financing, weaponry, ammunition, fuel, everything they need to survive, basically. Russia had refused to recognize them as independent states. And that was partly because there has been a peace process, even though it's been a very troubled one and it hasn't got very far for quite a long time, around documents called the Minsk Accords, which kind of a framework peace deal signed in 2014 and 15 to try and bring peace to the region. And a key element of that was that these regions were part of Ukrainian territory, inalienably part of Ukraine, and that Ukraine should reintegrate them as part of this peace process. By taking that big step last night, Putin has said that's no longer the case. 
we don't recognize these areas now as part of Ukraine. And that's a really fundamental change to the overall picture. And it means that the Minsk Accords, troubled though they've been, are now pretty much dead. Also on Monday, there were two quite unusual appearances of Putin on Russian media. First, he appeared in a televised conference with his top advisers, and then he delivered a lengthy address to the Russian people. Can you tell us first what happened at that meeting? And then what did he say to Russians in that televised address? Sure. Well, both events were really extraordinary. Both were televised. The first one was a meeting of the National Security Council in Russia, which is never televised usually. Um, I think this may have been the first one ever. And it was a gathering of all Putin's top security, military and political officials in one huge room, a huge kind of marble hall in the Kremlin. Everyone again was massively distanced from Putin. They were sitting sort of 15 or 20 meters away from him. And one by one, they got up and they gave him a report, as they saw it, on the situation in Donetsk and Lugansk. And they effectively, individually, one by one, gave him a justification for recognizing the the independence of these two regions. In one or two cases, Putin actually had to essentially force them to state explicitly whether they supported this move. And it was extraordinary to see how he dealt with people like Sergei Narishkin, for example, who's considered, you know, as an individual, a very powerful figure, the head of the foreign intelligence service in Russia. I mean, Putin basically scolded him on live television, told him him twice to speak clearly and say what he meant. And then Narishkin got it wrong and said that I support bringing these two regions into the Russian Federation. And Putin said, we're not talking about that today. Tell me directly whether you support recognizing the independence of them. And finally, he got it right. And then later on, he delivered something like a one hour long speech, most of it based on history and also crucially claiming that with Western support, Ukraine represented a direct threat to Russian safety and security. Ukraine really has nuclear technology and carriers to deliver such weapons back from the Soviet time. Can you give us some more examples of the points that he made against Ukraine and the attacks against Ukraine? I mean, were any of them valid? It was really extraordinary. I mean, he went back and focused on the formation of the Soviet Union. I would like to remind you that after the October Revolution of 1917 and the civil war that followed, Bolsheviks started building a new state. After the the revolution of 1917, when the Bolsheviks took power, and he said that Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, had a Ukraine. He's its creator and architect. By taking lands that were previously part of the Russian Empire and turning them into this thing called the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. And Putin's claim effectively was was that this was an artificial construction created in emergency circumstances at the time, after the revolution, after a civil war in Russia. For this, they went to any length to sign humiliating conditions of the press. And his argument went that when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, this Ukraine that was created at that time by Lenin no longer really had any legitimacy and should not have a right to exist after 1991. And that these lands effectively, which Putin claims were historically Russian lands, should go back to an independent Russia. This obviously is a, is a major 
historical claim, which doesn't really have any basis in historical fact. I mean, Ukraine as a nation was divided over history between Poland, the Habsburg Empire, the Russian Empire. But there was, there was always an understanding that there was a Ukrainian people there. And at different times in their history, they have striven for independence, they've declared independence in different forms. Putin saying that this state has no right to exist as an independent state is not only a major threat to Ukraine, but also, for example, if you're in the Baltic states, other states that over history also really struggled to establish their independence from their bigger neighbors. This looks like a major threat to them as well. For many people here, it was very, very hard to hear and very scary to hear, and it definitely ramped up the level of concern, not just in eastern Ukraine, but all over the country. And after that speech on Monday night, Putin ordered troops into the breakaway republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, and he called it a peacekeeping mission. It's Tuesday morning now when I'm speaking to you, Dan, and things could still change very quickly. But as of now, Tuesday morning, what is the situation in eastern Ukraine? I haven't seen an official Russian confirmation that they're in and they're on the ground, but there are several reports from, uh, from those regions that troops are moving in. At the same time, we have a very potentially very important development in Moscow right now. Both houses of the Russian parliament are sitting to recognize this decree, to ratify it effectively, this decree of Putin's from last night. Of course, that will go through. I mean, the, the parliament just acts as a rubber stamp for the Kremlin at this point. But a crucial question is whether Russia will now, at this point, recognize Donetsk and Lugansk on the territory that they currently hold, or on the, te on the territory of the whole of the Donetsk and Lugansk regions in Ukraine, because the Ukrainian government still holds more than half, maybe up to two-thirds of those regions. So recognizing them in the full territory of Donetsk and Lugansk regions, oblasts as they're called, would really raise the prospect of major, major fighting in those regions, because Ukraine will not give them up. These areas are, st are still strongly government-controlled. I was in those towns, last time I spoke to you, I think I was in one of those towns called Kramatorsk that switched back from militia control to government control in summer 2014. Those regions do not want to go back under militia control. That's absolutely clear. And the Ukrainian government forces have a strong presence in those towns now, towns like Kramatorsk and Slovyansk. So if there is a push to take the whole of Donetsk and Lugansk regions, then that is the next trigger point for potentially very major fighting between not just separatist troops, but maybe Russian troops now on the ground and the Ukrainian government forces that are there in strength. On Tuesday afternoon, Vladimir Putin confirmed that Russia would recognise the independence of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions in their entirety. He said he hoped that Ukraine and the breakaway republics can solve their border disputes through negotiations, but warned that right now that is impossible. That's where we look to the, the, the next potential kind of trigger point for a bigger conflict in Ukraine at the moment. Towards the end of last week, the United States predicted that Russia would begin its invasion in the coming days. And Joe Biden said that Russia would carry out a false flag operation to justify it. What is this false flag operation? And has there been any sign of that actually happening? 
Yeah, so a false flag operation basically is uh, a staged attack or other event which can be blamed by one party on another falsely. In this case, to create a pretext for an invasion or some kind of other measures by Russia against Ukraine. For example, a, a bomb attack or a shooting, a shelling, which Russia would blame on Ukraine and it would say we have to go in to protect civilians because they're being threatened by this Ukrainian attack, whatever it is, this staged attack. And we have seen things like that happening in recent days. We've seen shelling, we've seen bombing, we've seen another event this morning. It, it seems to be a claim from the people in Donetsk, the separatists running Donetsk, that a roadside bomb blew up a car and three civilians were killed. Now, Ukraine says it's not doing any of these things. Ukraine says all these things are false flag, staged attacks to justify greater Russian intervention in eastern Ukraine. We saw on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a major evacuation of civilians from the Donetsk and, and Lugansk so-called People's Republics. Uh, the leaders there claimed that they were under major threat from this supposed intensification of attacks from the Ukrainian side, and they started evacuating thousands of people to Russia. Ukraine says this is, and, and its Western allies, in fact, say this is all about creating a pretext for this Russian invasion. We also uh, continue to see more and more disinformation being pushed out by to the Russian public, including Russian-backed separatists, claiming that Ukraine is planning to launch a massive offensive attack in the Donbass. Well, look, there is simply no evidence of these assertions, and it defies, defies basic logic. Day by day, even hour by hour, these false flag attacks are building up. The impression is being created in Russia that Russia needs to go in to save the people, and that justifies something like Putin's announcement last night, the uh, intervention by so-called peacekeepers in Russia, and it may in time be used as justification for a further incursion somewhere else deeper into Ukrainian territory. On Monday night, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, he also made a televised address and he began by making a critical reference to Putin's speech. Dear people, we in our state do not have time for long lectures on history. I will not talk about the past. I will talk about current realities and our future. What else did Zelensky say? Well, Zelensky was essentially rallying the country, trying to again uh, ensure that there's no panic immediately, but at the same time calling on Western allies to do the maximum to help Ukraine at this difficult time. He spoke to Joe Biden uh, shortly after mm. the announcement by Putin last night, and he wants a very tough sanctions response on Russia immediately. He even wanted it before this step. He called for this at the weekend at the Munich Security Conference. Impose heavy sanctions now to make sure Russia doesn't take further steps. Now Russia has taken a step. I mean, Zelensky's concern is that, again, by not invading the rest of Ukraine, the West will kind of hold back and they won't decide to take very strong steps against Russia today. But that was certainly uh, Zelensky's message last night, give us full backing from the West and that Ukrainian will stand, it will defend itself and it will be defiant, not just on, in the steps that were taken last night by Russia, but with whatever is still to come. And Dan, you're in the Ukrainian capital of Kiev right now. Throughout the last week that you were reporting, you found that people there were not yet overly concerned about an invasion. And many people were telling you that this was all staged, that we're, we're not thinking about this and we're staying positive. How much has that changed in the last 24, 48 hours? 
It's changed somewhat. I mean, people certainly saw the thing last night from Putin, the statements last night, the meeting that he had, uh, and obviously the, the implications of the decree that he signed. And that has ramped up the level of concern here. Definitely. I mean, they think that Putin is now openly stating, as we talked about, that Russia has claims to a big, to bigger portions of Ukraine, potentially, not just those eastern regions. So people are concerned by that. They have to be. But at the same time, there's still no panic. People aren't rushing to clear shelves. They aren't rushing to kind of fill up their cars. They aren't rushing to take money out of, their, out of the banks. Kiev life is still going on as normal. I mean, how much of this is, is sensible? We still don't know. I mean, it's, it's understandable. You know, I'm sitting here in the middle of a big modern European city. And of course, locals can't imagine that something as horrendous as major missile strikes or a major invasion by an army as powerful as Russia's could happen here in the coming days. People may think it's somehow wishful thinking, seeing what, what Putin's doing in the East and what he said last night. But I think it's, it's absolutely understandable because they just can't, comprehend that in Europe in 2022, something like this could happen. Let's just say something does happen in the next few days. What plans are in place to evacuate the city if there is an invasion? And if maybe, maybe there aren't any, but, but should there be? The mayor of Vitaly Klitschko, listeners may know him from his days as a, a world heavyweight boxing champion. He's been the mayor of Kiev for several years now. And he's been under pressure to say more about what he intends to do. He says there is a plan. He's revealing it just bit by bit. He's talking about plans to protect, for example, energy supply in the city, to ensure that generators can keep working, to bring in more fuel to the city in case of emergency. For a while now, uh, an app has been available on which local residents can find their local um, air raid shelters, for example. But again, a lot of these places aren't ready. There aren't supplies in these places. A lot have been, a lot of them over the years have been taken over by other um, enterprises. You know, they've been turned into bars. People have taken them over. They've, you know, there's even one that has now become quite famous. An MP, a deputy here went looking for her local bomb shelter, according to the app, and found that it had been turned into a strip club. So there's all that kind of thing. I mean, that shows how unprepared Kiev really is for a, uh, for anything like this, how distant the prospect of a major war, a major attack on the city has been for so many years. Do you think this could be the start of a new Cold War or is it is this something totally different that we're looking at right now? Well, I mean, listening to Putin last night, I mean, his his grievances towards Ukraine and to the West were, 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 were sweeping. You know, he, he basically said um, that the West has declared us an enemy and that we should we should wise up and we should treat the West as an enemy as well. And that Ukraine is being used as a pawn in this game. And if we don't take steps now to protect ourselves from Ukraine, then it will pose a, a serious danger to Russian security going ahead. Again, we have to see what Putin chooses to do in the weeks ahead, but he's made it clear that he does not respect Ukraine as a state. He has no respect for Ukraine's territorial integrity or its current borders. I mean, that's really been clear since 2014, but he made it crystal clear last night, or he reiterated that last night. Um, and as we mentioned, it does also uh, raise the level of concern in countries like the Baltic states. You know, how, how far does Putin want to turn back the historical clock? to, in his eyes, right historical wrongs, bring about some form of historical justice as he sees it for Russia, and also to defend Russia, as he claims, against a hostile NATO. So we just don't know. We really don't know what, what, what uh, lies ahead um, for Ukraine or for Eastern Europe, really. 
And certainly when you listen to the statements from countries like Poland, countries like the Baltic states, they are trying to, um, to instill in the big Western powers, um, particularly Germany and France, I would say, to instill in them the kind of fear that they experience when they hear a Russian leader talking like that. And they want the response from the EU and from NATO to be strong enough to reassure them and to assuage those fears that they have now. Coming up, Europe retaliates as Russia advances. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Naomi O'Leary is Europe correspondent with the Irish Times. Naomi, as we record this right now, EU member states are discussing what sanctions they will introduce in response to Russia's advance into eastern Ukraine. What do we know so far about these sanctions and when will they be confirmed? So what we're expecting is in the coming hours, as we're recording, that the EU will move ahead to sanction as many as 351 members of the Russian Duma. Those are all the politicians that voted in favour of Putin's recognition of the breakaway self-declared republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. Also, we expect a number of individuals to be named uh, in the sanctions, people who had decision-making power or who had a role in the military or had some role in financing this kind of operation, potentially also excluding the Russian central bank from being able to lend or borrow. But probably the sort of big bang sanctions would be wide-ranging sectoral sanctions. So it would be things like affecting energy imports from Russia, stopping the, the export of key things like microchips, which are essential for electrical products into Russia, um, exclusion from the financial and banking system. So for example, like bars on being able to trade in euros or dollars. Um, so these are currently, as we speak, being discussed by EU member states. There is disagreement among the 27 about when that big card should be used, the kind of ace of the sleeve, with some countries like Germany, Austria, Italy, preferring an incremental approach because you know any sanction like that would have significant economic blowback on the EU itself. Um, whereas other countries, like particularly the Baltic states that neighbour Russia, 
they're small countries and they won independence in 1991 and they've basically always taken a hard line um, and asked for a tougher approach to Russia to deter it from any adventures along its borders because they feel that it threatens their security. They've been calling for sanctions already to have been employed against Russia before even this announcement about the recognition of Luhansk and Donetsk. So um, they are always pushing for a more hawkish uh, approach up to and including perhaps an entire um, embargo on energy imports from Russia. And on that, the biggest retaliation so far today is that German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has halted the Nord Stream 2 Baltic Sea gas pipeline project, which was designed to double the flow of Russian gas direct to Germany. What more can you tell us about that announcement, Naomi? This had been a hugely contentious project for many years. Um, The United States in particular had called on Germany to halt the construction of this pipeline it was seen essentially as increasing Russia's ability to exert power over the EU through the flow of gas by increasing dependence on Russian gas. Also, this pipeline bypasses Ukraine, whereas currently a lot of gas would transit through such countries. This would be a direct link between Russia and Germany, which is in the eyes of some would allow, give Moscow more leverage to punish those countries without the countries like Germany being affected. At this point, the pipeline is already finished. All it's missing is some permits to get pumping. Um, And it really has amazed quite a lot of people that it took Germany so long to take action on this project, as it was, you know, just widely seen as something that was a huge geopolitical risk, not just for Germany, but the wider EU and the European region. What is the international significance of the decision to halt the Nord Stream 2? I mean, not only with regards to EU-Russia relations, but also European energy security. Well, what everyone is, I suppose, waiting on to see is what would Russian retaliation look like? Um, Russia does typically retaliate to sanctions. It does things like it expels diplomats or it bars officials from being able to set foot on its territory, things like that. But the big elephant in the room is EU dependence on Russian gas. Uh, Russian gas is estimated to make up something in the region of 40% of EU gas imports. And particularly things like factories industry are very heavily reliant on gas for production um, in the EU. Uh, The amount of dependence on Russian gas varies between member states. Rule of thumb is the closer you are, the more dependent you are. Ireland isn't that badly affected because we get gas via Norway uh, and the North Sea via Britain. But if the Russian President Vladimir Putin (laughs) decided that no more gas should be sent to the EU, that could cause economic havoc. Um, It would mean factories shutting down production. Uh, It would mean perhaps electricity rationing. Presumably, it would further increase prices on top of what's already a really bad energy cost crisis that has caused some political instability in EU member states already. Um, So it's something that many countries are very keen to avoid. It's worth noting that in the past, Russia has repeatedly used its gas as leverage in political situations. So it's repeatedly cut off or threatened to cut off gas supplies to Ukraine in moments of tension. Um, it also uh, last year threatened to cut off the supply to Moldova, which is 100% dependent on Russian gas and also one of the poorest countries in Europe. Um, and that was seen and 
you know, the EU openly accused Russia of doing that to punish Moldova for electing a pro-European government that lent towards developing greater ties with the EU. So we know this is something that Russia does like to use for geopolitical leverage. Meanwhile, foreign ministers are also meeting in Paris today to discuss the Ukraine-Russia situation. What are we expecting to hear from them later this evening? So currently, as we speak, actually, the EU foreign ministers are convening a kind of off-the-cuff, informal <laughs> gathering in Paris where a lot of them happen to be for a separate meeting uh, to discuss the situation um, and the, the tensions. We expect that this will help nudge the EU27 towards consensus on which sanctions to go ahead with. Because when it comes to any issue, whether it's sanctions or something else, with 27 countries, you're going to have some different views. What I'm hearing is that there's very, very close coordination with both the United Kingdom and the United States. So we could probably expect all of them to come out with very similar sanctions in a coordinated way um, that hit Russian leadership, essentially, um, and also to a certain extent the Russian state. The aim of it is to retaliate for this action that's already been taken, the recognition of the breakaway republics and decision to send military forces there, but also to hold something back. So to hold back those, you know, biggest sanctions that I referred to, the wide-ranging sectoral sanctions, as a kind of ace up the sleeve that could be used. It's used as a threat to deter a fuller invasion, any advance into the rest of Ukraine or towards the capital, Kiev. Naomi, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today. My thanks to our guests, Dan McLaughlin in Ukraine and Naomi O'Leary in Brussels. Today's episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Friday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.